Hello, everyone. Thank you for staying tuned into my podcast series, Dunya Rising. I am Dunya, your host, and I live in Glastonbury. I'm a DJ, musician, sound healer, and podcaster. And Dunya Rising focuses on spirituality, well being, and creativity and features some of the amazing people I've met on my journey since moving to the magical lands of Avalon. And I'm so excited to share this episode with you. Anyone who knows me knows that cacao is one of my greatest loves. I drink cacao most days, and the amount of times I've gone out of the house with chocolate around my mouth, unknowing, is a bit ridiculous. But no one ever seems to tell me. But in all seriousness, cacao is an incredible plant medicine with many healing properties. And when we use cacao ethically, in ceremony and with ritual, it can actually help us to reach higher states of consciousness, to see beyond the physical with our third eye. So in this episode, I speak to the gorgeous Dia, a cacao sorceress who grew up in the magical lands of Ecuador and was born in a city surrounded by volcanoes. So she runs Cacao Amor, selling ceremonial grade cacao, hosting ceremonies, retreats, workshops, and training. In this episode, we talk about Dia's early life in Ecuador, her experiences of coming to the UK, where she first discovered the power of bass medicine in the underground drum bass scene. She talks about her first ceremony in Mexico and awakening to the force of redemptive and unconditional love. Dia reminds us that a lot of us carry shame around singing and how we can release this as cacao loves to be sung to. And I'm just so excited that Dia's friend, Josefina, has offered her song, Cacauita, for this episode. Josefina is an Ecuadorian polymath, a linguist, singer-songwriter and sound researcher. And she channeled this song, Cacauita, with the spirit of cacao and Muy Tranquilo, when Dio invited her to join her on main stage for the Medicine Festival. So this song will be released soon and you can find more information about her and her music in the description. And I'm releasing this episode in autumn and I think as the season changes in the UK and it gets colder and there's less light, a lot of us really struggle with our mental health. And Dia reminds us that cacao can really help us with depression. So let's jump straight into this episode and here are some of my favourite quotes of Dia. The cacao tree has been in communion with humans from the start of our journey with the plant kingdom, which is from the beginning of the times. All the myths, the legends, the stories about cacao say that it was a gift from the gods. A story from the lands of Ecuador says that Tata Inti, so Father Sun, impregnated the earth with the cacao seed. The Mayan elders and how they revere the spirit of cacao, how they see it as the tree of life and how they revere the goddess of cacao. That place of non-judgment and complete Mm. awe for my life and for the person that I am with all my shadows or ugly bits and beautiful bits. It's like everything felt so welcome in that moment and I felt so loved. 
appreciate you giving me your time, dear, because I know that there's been a lot happening for you and that you're really busy and I just really value it because I've just felt really excited to collaborate with you on this and explore cacao more. So many people don't know about cacao as well, which surprises me. And um, yeah, I just think it's beautiful what you offer and having experienced your ceremony and workshops is so nice to actually having experienced it and then speak to you about it. Mm, thank you. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. And yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful with, yeah, with your invitation. And I feel it's really beautiful also that you have, you know, that we have been in ceremony together. So there's also that level of connection and, and that level of you knowing what it's like to, to drink cacao with me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm really excited like you being on here. And what I really wanted to know is, kind of exploring more of like your roots first it'd be really lovely to know about your experiences growing up in Ecuador because it seems like a very mystical country beautiful landscapes volcanoes and the jungle and I was just curious like what your upbringing must have been like there yeah thank you yeah like you said Ecuador is a very magical country the nature there is very alive and is very eminent so I was born in Quito, which is the capital city. So, you know, Quito is in a valley surrounded by volcanoes. There's volcanoes all around. On a clear day, you wow. can see, yeah, many volcanoes. And the city itself is at the foothill of a volcano called Pichincha, which is an active volcano, which is actually in my lifetime come to erupt. <laughs> Whoa. So I've seen a Pichincha volcano erupting into like a huge, a mushroom shaped ash, you know, and rocks. And I remember um, I must have been mm. maybe 12 years old or something like this when that happened. So like the whole, you know, they closed all the schools, the cities where this, the city was closed down. You had to like seal all windows and stuff. So it was, oh. it was quite intense. So definitely there was a level of wildness of like the wild of like nature being the most powerful thing in the place where I grew up I've always had like a respect and, and and a reverence for nature and I've always appreciated the yeah the power that she has over us and then you know I had a, a usual upbringing I would say that you would if, if you're born in a capital city so my parents had me when they were really young and they weren't together so I had a there was a lot of movement in my childhood. So I would go from mom to dad and grandparents. So, you know, I think from, from an early age, I was set to be a bit of a nomad and to be yeah. okay with moving a lot and like being in, in different environments and finding my ground within that. Yeah. And my dad was a marine bio, was studying marine biology and also working as a tour guide in Ecuador so he would take people to the jungle to the Amazon and he would take people to the Galapagos Islands I was lucky in the sense that he would take me in some of his trips as well wow. so, yeah so from a very young age I had a connection with the Galapagos Islands with with the sea lions and the iguanas you know like they they always felt like they were like my friends when I was little and (laughs) yeah um you know some of my early memories are me like playing with with a baby sea lion and like snorkeling with them and um you know I have 
memories of being around trees and plants and like mm. always being sort of like amazed by the natural world. And I always felt nature as a living being. Like I, I, I always felt nature as as being a part of me. Mm. Um, my mom also had a lot of friends who owned farms, so you know we would like on the weekends go to the farms, drink fresh milk from the cows. I guess I was lucky to have grown up, been born and grew up in a capital city, but then be surrounded so much by nature. Mm, kind of like having the best of both worlds there, but I also. I was just curious, like imagining growing up in a land where you do have access to volcanoes and jungle, so different from what a lot of us experience. But also the energies that you would experience being close to a volcano, I can't really imagine that. And it's interesting to know that you're a cacao sorceress and you work with plant medicines and then you were going to the jungle, so maybe accessing and connecting to the plant spirits from quite a young age. So interesting to see how that came onto your journey. You mentioned that you moved to the UK in 2000 and on your website you said that you had a number of spiritual experiences at that point and I was quite interested into your path into spirituality were your parents spiritual Mm. was it always important to you or is it like a personal journey yeah so I say there's various there's various things in regards to this so Ecuador it's a very Catholic country so growing up my my grandparents are Catholic so you know I went to a Catholic school as a primary school so so there was that idea of of God and, and the Supreme. <laughs> on the other hand, my dad is an atheist. Being a marine biologist, of course, there's like theories of evolution and, you know, there not being such a thing as perhaps a, a God that rules over our lives. And then my mom, that my mom was, yeah, a very spiritual person. She believed in God. And also believe in Buddha and also believe in the deities and Shiva and Shakti. And, and she was also always really open to, yeah, to just many spiritual paths. And she was always a woman that said, you know, that inspired me to be open hearted and open minded about any culture and to respect all the religions. She wasn't your usual Christian person who is like, there's only one God and this is the way. She was like, well, there's many paths to God and, there's many ways. So from a young age, my mom did, in, did sort of inspired me to be open-hearted and open-minded about the idea of there being, yeah, many possibilities for a spiritual world, so to speak. That's amazing. My childhood experience with nature, there was, from my dad's side, there wasn't never really a conversation about a spirit. It was all like very like biology and chemistry and, and like that. But I always felt there was something more. And I think it was moving, you know, coming from the land of volcanoes where like the people and the environment is very fiery and alive and there's sunshine every day. Coming to England in in itself was an initiation for me. Because, you know, imagine coming from a place where like it's really sunny, it's really hot. Even though when it gets cold, you know that the sun is going to shine the next day and there's like hummingbirds in the garden. Like it's so colorful and so diverse. And then I'm 
I come into like a tiny town outside of Manchester where it's grey and rainy and predominantly white and I I don't fit in like I'm like Mm. obviously just like not from here so for me that was a huge change and I thought that I could adapt easily but yeah my, my first couple of years in the UK were very difficult and I sort of found solace in drum and bass. And yes, and dear, I did not <laughs> expect you to say that. Yes. You found your spirituality in drum and bass. So actually some of my first, you know, trans-like experiences were dancing to drum and bass in like <laughs> in dingy clubs and being like, whoa, like, you know, the, the, the amount of movement that comes in the body and the music. I mean, drama music is very, as you know, it's very intense. And, and I find it really shamanic. I find it, it that is. It, it, it wasn't hard for me to get into states of, like, I didn't know at the time that that's what was happening. But I, yeah, I started to experience this like sense of sort of like really dropping into the body and having these sort of like experiences through, through the music and the dance. I think it was. Ten years later, around in 2010, I went to Vipassana. I did my first Vipassana. And it was here that I also ex- experienced something what, you know, I could, I could perhaps compare with, with an LSD trip. Mm. Um, I think it was like on the sixth or seventh day. And I just remember coming out of the meditation room and everything being like the HD switch have been turned on, you know, wow. and everything is like super bright. And, and I'm like sort of like walking barefoot on the grass and I feel the energy of, of the grass and, and I'm like really in contact with, with that. And, and to me, that's when there was this realization of like, wow, like I can get to these states of awareness and to this connection with nature at a deeper level without the need of trance or without the need of, of substances or, or anything else. I already knew that from my childhood, but you know, as a, in my twenties living in England, there was a lot of influences and, and a lot of things that I experimented and I tried. I sort of needed that time in Vipassana of like full on sobriety, no alcohol, no nothing else to sort of like remember that actually I can get to these places. This place is already within me sort of thing. And like, I can get to these spaces without the need of, of anything else other than my breath and Mm. and, and nature. That's such an interesting journey that like with your parents, there was that kind of cross of science and spirituality with your mum being kind of very open to your relationship to God is personal. And I think that's really beautiful because a lot of people are raised with that dogma. And I've talked about it on the podcast before. I came from a lot of religions going on in my family and it, and it kind of felt very heavy traditions. Like this is the only way you can access God. So it's it's nice that you kind of had that openness for your mum, but also the exploration of science and the appreciation of that with your dad. It brought me a lot of joy to hear that drum and bass was an access for you. <laughs> Spirituality is a big drum and bass fan. And interestingly, because the last people I interviewed on my podcast that run ecstatic dub and you know one of my friends Emma talking about the base being her medicine and how you know she felt all these energies coming up from the root chakra and from the sacral and how that was awakening so it's interesting to hear many people saying that through the music but also vipassana yeah I'd love to kind of hear a little bit more about that experience because you know you talked about through no substances 
just through going inward that you were able to feel that connection with the land almost like you were tripping Mm. there's been like a lot of like mixed views about Vipassana some people kind of saying it's quite a masculine practice and that it's not for everyone what would you think it was about this particular spiritual practice that was so Mm. that brought about such an awakening for you Mm -hmm. So I think there was a combination of things is the fact that there's no talking. I really, I'll speak for myself. So I really got to go inwards and listen to what was going on inside of me without the distraction of, of talking or listening to other people. I think it was the, I'm going to say grueling because it is hard. It is hard to sit in meditation and have the, have the determination of not moving for a solid hour. It's hard. It's, it's, to me, it was impossible. I couldn't do it. But I think it was like having a determination and being fully focused in the sensations in the body and trying my best to not have aversion to the bad sensations or not have attachment to the good sensations, just sort of coming to that equanimous mind and coming to the non-judgmental mind and coming into the stillness and coming into the commitment towards the feeling of the sensations in the body that eventually after, I think it was six or seven days, then coming out of the meditation room, I think just experiencing the bliss of like moving the body and being barefoot and nature. I have also mixed sentiments around Vipassana. So I've sat three times and I've served once. And I agree in the sense that it's quite a, I don't necessarily want to call it masculine. I'm going to call it quite a rigid practice. It's actually quite dogmatic, even though they try not to be dogmatic. It is dogmatic. If you want to continue and dive deeper into the practice of Vipassana, then, you know, you have to drop all the modalities like Reiki, energy healing, like everything else. As a cacao sorceress, I couldn't go into and dive deep in Vipassana because they don't allow other modalities. And to me, that's dogma. To me, to say this is the only way. I understand what they're saying about commitment, about choosing one thing and committing to that practice and going deep into that. I totally hear. Yeah, I feel like that we're multifaceted beings mm-hmm. and that we need different things at different times. And also, I feel like in order for the body to be able to sit in meditation and in a stillness for such long amounts of time without actually damaging damaging it, mm-hmm. you need movement, you need asana, you need a stretching, you need a strength. So, and that's the part that vipassana I think is missing. It's the mm. it's the movement, it's the taking care of of the body beyond what you eat. Yes, yeah, that's really powerful because I I haven't sat with vipassana before, but I've often thought. You know, my back starts hurting and it's actually through stretching and breath work and yoga that I'm actually able to access the stillness. So I couldn't really imagine feeling that in my body or feeling like stuck energy and not being able to let it flow a little bit. At the same time, honoring what you were saying that actually when you're in those states, that you're not judging the pain, the irritability, that you're allowing it all to exist and how powerful that can be. Especially if, you know, you've come to the UK in your 20s and a very overstimulating environment at uni studying drugs alcohol all of this so our minds are so busy and stimulated all the time but it is just Mm -hmm. really powerful to just be in the stillness and for that to be enough and I've definitely had moments in meditation 
where everything felt so perfect in the now. I didn't want to go anywhere. I didn't have a destination. It was like the first experience of peace I've ever had in this lifetime to not have a destination when this life is so outcome-based. What are you going to do now? What are you going to achieve? Who are you going to be? Mm -hmm. What job? So to come away from that, I don't need a role. I don't need an identity. I don't need a destination is so peaceful. Yeah, exactly. On this journey of spirituality, how did this link to the discovery of cacao? I'd love to know how you first accessed it because you talked about having cacao with your grandma as a child, mm-hmm. but it wasn't until later that you started to use it ceremonially. So mm-hmm. how was that journey for you? Yeah, it's really interesting. So, you know, being from Ecuador, growing up in Ecuador, it was sort of like understood that, you know, I knew that cacao was a tree, that it's, you know, that chocolate comes from from the fruit of this tree. And like I said, my grandma would go to the market and buy these cacao discs that is basically the cacao beans you know fermented roasted and then stone ground into these discs and she will make us cacao so I grew up drinking cacao like enjoying the bitter taste you know we were sweetening it with panela which is like raw cane sugar or a bit of honey but never too much and it was always like quite rich intense and you know so I I grew up knowing cacao as these nutritional and healthy and delicious treat that grandma will make will make us uh twice a day in fact most of the time we drank cacao twice a day and then something happened around when I was a few years before coming to to the UK there was this product that got released in the market called Colacao and I think it was quite big in Spain and he managed to come to Latin America and become quite big and sort of people started to shift to this powdered form of chocolate. I didn't make anything of it at the time but obviously coming into this work later on I realized it was like oh that's so sad that a lot of the culture of drinking cacao paste then just turned into like no make it easy for like moms and grandmas to make it all you have to do is add hot water to these or hot milk to these and it's done and it's fortified with all these, you know, minerals and things. And really, the damage that that created to a culture of drinking cacao was huge. So when I came to the UK, I didn't, I didn't really make any of it. I just kind of like kept having the powdered chocolate and like, I sort of forgot about it in a way. And then I started to get really interested again in, well, I started with the Mayans. I got really interested into the Mayans and the Aztecs and I started to learn about the different calendars and I don't know if you remember this big thing of like that they were talking about the end of the world with the Mayan calendar. Was there that twenty twelve? Yeah, there was this huge thing in twenty twelve about the end of the world and like how the Mayans predicted the end of the world and well I knew that that wasn't true. I knew that what what happened was that the Mayans had written down the date up to around then in their big leaves, which was like hundreds of years after them. But there was, it didn't mean the end of the world. But I, I knew this. And at the time, I had just finished studying film and photography. And I wanted to find out 
what it was like in Mexico to be there in 20, in December 2012. What will Palenque, mm-hmm. which is sort of like the Mecca of the Mayans or the modern Mayans apart from in Guatemala, what was the celebrations going to be like? What was going to happen there? So I decided to go to Palenque for December 2012 and to sort of film my experience of being there. And arriving there, there was in the hostel where I was staying, a couple was offering a cacao ceremony one of the mm-hmm. days. And so I asked them if I could record the experience. So it was this time that the first time that I sat in, in a cacao ceremony, I was very intrigued, you know, because having grown up with cacao and then in Ecuador, I never heard of cacao ceremonies. I had no idea that there was a whole spiritual lineage with cacao. And then here I am in Mexico where we're about to have a cacao ceremony. Now we're having a cacao ceremony and and there's talks about the spirit of cacao and how the tree represents the tree of life. And and it was like, yeah, really beautiful to be in a space where it was a ceremony that had to do with a plant. Being in that ceremony, experiencing the cacao and at the same time filming it. So taking the eye of the observer at the same time and through the lens of the camera, you sort of like, you know, when you do close-ups, you get up really close to like the hand giving the cacao or mm-hmm. the person drinking it. You get really close to the person with the tear and the person is smiling. So I felt like I got that extra closeness to it. And yeah, it was a beautiful experience. And that's in that ceremony, I felt unconditional love. Like I had heard about it before, you know, like I heard like, you know, in, in Buddhist teachings and the Vipassana, you know, talk about unconditional love, about, you know, the love that God or goddess has for us. And I always sort of felt it as a concept, like so as a concept of like, oh, that would be amazing. But what does it actually feel like? And I feel like in this ceremony, I got to feel that where there was like that place of non-judgment and mm. complete awe for my life and for the person that I am with all my shadows or ugly bits and beautiful bits. It's like everything felt so welcome in that moment. And I felt so loved in that moment that I was like, I had a snippet of what unconditional love or compassionate yeah. love would be of like that all encompassing love. Wow. Yeah. You talk about it so I always went to that place with you then. I was like, <laughs> just keep going. <laughs> Tell me more about unconditional love. That's really beautiful and profound. And I I love that, you know, you talked about the relationship with cacao in Ecuador, that it was so much part of your culture, but then you witnessed the change. But I suppose it's like where the consumerism comes in and we need more and more cacao than we need. And then it went into powdered version and perhaps the damage on the culture that may have had. And to the plant as well. Mm. And then to go later in your life to experience the cacao ceremony in Ecuador. So it's interesting that it wasn't perhaps... No, in the, Mexico. In, in, Ecuador, in Mexico. But that that kind of awakened your understanding. And perhaps might be seeing like a lot of us are having relationships with plants, but not actually realizing there's a whole spirit behind the plant. Is that what you encountered? in that ceremony was it in were you in deep communion with the cacao plant spirit for sure have you had dreams about the plant spirit I'm just trying to bring this to life for people that just sort of see cacao as a drink 
and that's mm-hmm. all that it is. Mm-hmm. What would you say to people like that? Mm-hmm. You know, how yeah. like how much more it is and how much more beautiful yeah. it can be when we are in relationship to that plant spirit. Yeah. Well, I will start by saying that the anima mundi, so like all plants and all animals have a spirit. They all have a soul. And what you want to determine the soul, I think it just depends per person. But I would say that the soul is that energy, the the energy that is, is alive within a being. So like that when that being dies, the energy is still there, you know, and it's a stardust and it's earth and it's goddess and it's God and it's, you know, it's it's the energy that lives within beings and all plants have the spirit. So like from the dandelion to the oak tree, they all have a spirit. The nettles have a spirit, so they all have a spirit. And I think a spirit of a plant, perhaps from my experience, becomes stronger or more available to us through our communion and openness to receive and communicate with that with that energy or that spirit, that soul. So the the cacao tree has been in communion with humans, some would say, I would say, from the start of our journey with the plant kingdom, which is from the beginning of the times. Mm -hmm. There are many varieties of cacao, theobroma, cacao, theobroma bicolor, theobroma pentagona. There's many, 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 many varieties of the theobroma tree. Now the most common, most cultivated is theobroma cacao. But if you can imagine, not even that far away, but like a thousand years ago, where the jungles and the forests of Latin America were a bit more wild and like all these different varieties of this tree and how humans interacted with this tree. So the cacao tree is very, it has loads of healing properties and nutritional properties. So like from the bark to the leaves to the pod, they all have properties to them and they all can be used for different things. So I think humans always sort of like humans over there who ha- who had access to this tree had these sort of awareness of how powerful and how healing and how magical and nutrition this tree was. And I think they were able to connect with their spirit through that. And when I sat in this ceremony and mm. had this drink and, and heard Gustavo and Paola talk about the Mayan elders and how they revere the spirit of cacao, how they see it as the tree of life and how they revere the goddess of cacao and just my openness to to feel her. So she's come in different ways. And I'm I'm saying she, but really the spirit has no gender. So mm. we're just used to calling her a she, but it, the, the, I would say it's more appropriate to call them they or them because it's neither masculine or feminine, it's both of them. Even physically, the tree is both masculine and feminine, it has both. So the cacao tree is masculine and feminine, so I believe also all the spirits are masculine and feminine, and it just depends on each individual how we project that as an image, you know. So for some people in the smell, they can sense the spirit. Some people are visual. I'm quite a visual person, so I could visualize these gorgeous, goddess you know with like her chocolate colored skin and her big wavy hair 
and like chocolate colored brown eyes and like this really soft skin that you just sort of like want to lick because it just <laughs> feels like she's made of cacao, you know. Um, yeah, so, so different ways. In this ceremony, the way they came to me, the spirit came to me, it was in this feeling, this, this sensation of like being hugged and received by something whose energy was that of compassion, whose energy was that of love, of acceptance, of like holding me regardless of anything that I do. It's like you are loved and appreciated. Yes. And I think for people who perhaps haven't had these sort of experiences and, and who are like, Mm, sort of curious to feel this spirit then I would say next time you drink a cow ask you know like ask a cow like I want to feel your spirit I want to connect with your with your divinity help me do so please mm. come to me help me do so and, and it could be in a manner of ways it could be through feeling it could be an image it could be a smell a sensation so just be open and know that spirit comes in many ways. It's not just you have to see it. You know, it's it's a feeling, it's an emotion, is a yeah, it's it's something beyond what what we may conceive. And and it's important to be open hearted and open minded and to allow that to come to us in in whatever way we we can receive it. So beautiful, because you describe it in such an accessible way. And I like that you talked about the cacao plant being both masculine and feminine and that maybe in its purest form spirit doesn't have gender and that the plant is both masculine and feminine and also opening up our hearts and minds to how we might connect we're not going to connect in exactly the same ways to plant medicines clearly then about the intention being powerful and I wondered whether you know when we're trying to access deeper states of consciousness through plant medicines are there other ways that can help us other than having an intention do you bring music do you bring song do you bring flowers like what can really help many of us that are really trying to build that relationship with the cacao plant medicine yeah definitely offering the cacao, I feel like all plants, they, they, like we all, we all love gifts, right? We all love to be like, here I come to you to give you something, not just take from you. When we drink cacao in ceremony, it's nice to pour a little bit of cacao in a cup for the spirits and to give a little bit to the earth. Or if you have a fire, give a little bit to the fire, like offer cacao to, to the other beings around and yeah, sitting in meditation is a good thing, but also movement, journaling, painting, drawing, even just with crayons or a pencil, just drinking cacao, see what happens. You can also use the cacao themselves to draw, for example. I like to oint myself with cacao, the marking of cacao in the skin, putting it on, feeling it on you when you taste it. Being really present, actually something that I really, really encourage people to do is to not sweeten their cacao. Don't put sugar in it. Don't put honey in it. Don't put agave. Really drink them as they are in all their bitter sweetness and get to experiencing that. And I feel like the spirit of cacao really appreciates that because it's like us, you know, it's how beautiful is it when, when our beloved 
loves you when you just woke up in the morning and you have no makeup on and you're just like not even <laughs> fresh and, and they look at you with so much love and appreciation. So Phil Africa is the same. They want to be appreciated as they are. Mm. So really try them as they are. And through that reverence and that acceptance and loving, I think we cultivate that relationship with the spirit mm. and then perhaps it's easier to access that. The mm, simplest so things. Not trying to change it, actually, and really appreciating the rawness of them, the richness of the cacao. I've had quite profound experiences after one of your ceremonies where I actually almost felt quite psychic and I felt very charged, almost like I'd taken a pill or something. It really went through me and I had this openness. I joked with my friends and it sounds ridiculous, but I almost felt like I communicated with aliens at that point. I know that sounds ridiculous, but I felt so open in my channels. And I just wondered, like, when we're accessing these deeper states of consciousness, is that psychic awareness more common for us at that time when we're having ceremonial grey cacao? And what is it about the ceremonial grade that we seem to experience more of an openness compared to maybe if I bought cacao in the shop. You know, mm. why should we really invest in ceremonial mm. grade cacao? Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, well, a number of reasons. And we can start because of the way that it's cultivated. So, you know, we know that ceremonial cacao has to be grown in polyculture farms or in chakras like we call in Latin America, surrounded by many other plants in respect with nature that is being taken care of and harvested and processed with traditional methods in ways that respect the plant and the farmers. So ethically, that's one of the reasons why we choose ceremonial cacao or organic cacao, fair trade cacao, because is ethical, you know, and it's taking care of the environment and the people. Ceremonial cacao has that extra added level to it. You know, we're hoping that people are not calling just any organic cacao ceremonial cacao, but that is actually been, you know, a stone ground and that is been from the growing of it, it's been grown with intention and it's been harvested with intention and it's been processed with intention. So I think intention is very powerful here and and it has a lot to do with why we get to those places of openness and higher states of consciousness because the cacao has been produced through higher state of consciousness. I think that definitely transcribes. Then also is the the qualities within the cacao, you know, the active compounds, the chemicals, the activation of the cacao itself and different varieties have different components on more of, less of components. So that will also affect us. So cacao also is an enhancer. So cacao enhances what is already there. So when you think, you know, when you've drunk cacao in ceremony, you have the whole, the whole ceremony, the ritual on itself is really helping you to tap into the more subtleties of your awareness and your reality. And, you know, as we drink the cacao and it relaxes the mind and oxygenates the brain and it lets the heart physically open because the blood is flowing better and you come into a state of relaxation, then your other senses start to awaken. Okay, Mm -hmm. so the sense where you 
perhaps are extrasensory or you can communicate through the mind or you start to see with your third eye, so to speak, so see beyond the physical, you will be able to access that easier because because the cacao has helped you reach that state through all of the things that I've just mentioned. Mm, that's really useful to hear and and reminding us of the importance of how cacao is farmed because you know we talk about having a loving intention but what about the intention with the cacao as it was grown it was as it was yeah. farmed because I'm aware that there is slavery and exploitation that exists around cacao farming so I think it's a really important message to honor the journey and I think as active consumers, we don't think about often where our food comes from or how the plants have been treated. We're just so quick to want it now and want it in demand. So I think it's really important that you're sharing that message of actually being really conscious about where are you getting the cacao from and how has it been treated and starting that loving relationship with the spirit from its whole journey, not just from when you buy it from the shelf. And also, I really love that you said that actually what cacao is doing is that it's enhancing what is already there because I think that takes us away from this mindset of separation. That I'm going to sort of get something different and I'm going to take something, but actually it's already within and we're coming there and it's just opening, just like you're saying, it's opening the heart. So if there are those experiences for me, which is feeling really psychic, that perhaps actually that, that gift is already within all of us, but the cacao medicine is just helping to enhance and open that up more. It reminds us of our own personal power first. Yeah, exactly. I was really curious seeing some of your retreats that look magical. And I saw you'd posted the medicine wheel of cacao. And I wondered... What does that mean to you and how do you bring that into your ceremonies? Thank you. Yeah, so the medicine wheel of cacao is something very new, a new development that I've co-created with uh, my dear friend and collaborator, Eva Evan Monroe. So we've been working together for maybe three years now. She's based in Spain. She's the distributor of cacao more in Spain. And that's who I co-facilitate or co-create the retreat. And also the Spanish version of my course is, is with Eva. We were about to do the third edition of our retreat. We're like dreaming about how we're going to do it. And we like to work with the elements and we like to work with the, with the medicine wheel. And what we notice is that I know medicine wheels from different traditions. So. I've been working with the Andean medicine wheel, you know, that has the directions and then an animal totem in each of the directions, condor, hummingbird, snake, and puma. And then I'm also familiar with the Lakota medicine wheel and with the with the Chacana from, from Peru and Ecuador, who talks about the three worlds. And, and Eva also has, like, learned from different lineages. And we were looking at the Celtic wheel and we're noticing how each of these wheels that connects with the elements of the directions, they have the elements in different places. They open and close in different places. Some go in a circle clockwise. Some go anti-clockwise. Some jump from one to the other, creating a cross. 
So we're like, there is all these wheels. And if you look at humanity from the beginning of times, we've been making circles and placing objects in directions and relating elements to the directions. And we were like, well, we're all about cacao. And, and we're here to help people connect deeper to the elements and the medicine wheel and the directions through cacao. So what would be the medicine wheel of cacao? Where does cacao start? All the myths, the legends, the stories about cacao say that it was a gift from the gods. A story from the lands of Ecuador says that Tata Inti, so Father Son, impregnated the earth with the cacao seed. So that was the first seed that was implanted into this earth was the cacao tree. Mm -hmm. So we're like, okay, so what element is that? That's a spirit, but what brings it down? What brings the message down? How is this story being passed? It's through voice. And what element is that? That's the element of air. So we start with air because through air, through a story, through the word, through the wind, then, you know, the seed comes down and then we go into the earth because the seed is planted into the earth. So mm -hmm. we go from air to earth. And then when you plant a seed on the soil, what's the next thing that you need? Water. Exactly. So then we bring in water. So then water is the next element. And then when you water that seed and the seed starts to sprout and the first leaves come out, then what is the next thing that that plant needs? Sun. Sun, which is yeah. fire. Then we bring in the fire. So then we develop that medicine wheel that it's now in relation to cacao. So if cacao has a medicine wheel, looking at the way that cacao grows and the journey that cacao has, then that would be the wheel. And how it is is that it always goes to the center. Cacao always goes to the heart. So it's like from the heavens, from the wind, through the heart, through the center, through the spirit comes and impregnates the earth with the cacao seed. And then it goes up because of the love of the water. Mm. And then again, it's through the loving energy of the fire, then the tree grows. And so how we use it in our work and ceremonies is that, so on our retreat, every day is focused on one of the elements. And we go deep into practices and things that help us connect with that element within us and around us. And help us honor that element and initiate ourselves into that element and then implement that into our daily living. And then in ceremonies, we offer our cacao to each one of the elements and we give a prayer to each one of the elements. So what am I grateful to wind for? Why am I offering my cacao to the wind? And what is my commitment to wind? So perhaps my commitment to wind is that I will speak with kindness and I will speak true words and I will know when to be quiet. And my commitment to the earth is that I will take care of my body. I will take care of what I eat, what I consume, and I will tend to the land. I will walk gently upon this earth and I will cause as less harm as I can, bringing again kindness and compassion. Same mm -hmm. with the waters, you know, how can I be of service to the water? So water give us nourishment and, you know, cleansing. So maybe my commitment to the water is that I will take care of my sexuality and that mm -hmm. I will do my best to go to springs and give flowers and give a song. Song I find to be the best offering that we can give to any of the elements because we're not taking from another to give. So how nice is it to give it your voice? It's like the one thing that's coming from you, fully from you to them. 
Yeah, so that's the way that, that I'm working with when medicine wheel of cacao and with the elements, mm. sort of honoring them and implementing them into daily living and using them in the retreats as a way to go deeper and then using them in ceremony as an offering and a prayer for the way that we, the way that I want to it's really it's, and inspire all this. It's, it is really inspiring because it's, it's on to honor all the elements feels like it's such a holistic approach to the plant. And it reminds me of like, there's a spiritual teacher called Ajishanti that I followed for a number of years. And I remember him talking about the tree, that a tree is not just the tree, it is the sun, it is the air, it is the soil and it's the water because the tree cannot exist without those things. So we see trees in these separate ways through a lens of separation. But actually, if you were to see the whole tree, you have to see the light and you have to see the soil and you have to see the water. And it kind of reminded me of that when you were speaking because you were honoring the whole journey of the cacao plant. And I love the, the creation stories that it has been a gift from the gods and I know they're myths and stories but there's just that magic to it that it is a gift of blessing and so it being planted into the earth and then nurtured and then needing the sun and the water it helps us to have that holistic view and relationship with the plant rather than just seeing it as this seed or just one element I think that's really really beautiful and I love that to experience your ceremonies, your retreats, that you have to think about what's my offering. And if I'm connecting with the earth, how am I connecting to my body? Am I looking after myself too? Because, you know, we go out wanting to change the world and then forget to start from home. If I'm going to look after the earth, I must look after myself because if I'm not looking after myself, I'm not looking after the earth. Exactly. And also just, I love singing and I love music. So I, I'm really happy when you said that, that the song is the best offering. I was like, yes, yeah. I can share my gifts with the plants now. You talked about um, your sister in ceremony with you that would offer she would channel music for the cacao ceremonies. Can you talk a little bit about the use of music? And I know that you said that maybe it was using indigenous tongue from Ecuador. And yeah, I, I would love to hear about the power of music and, and using song with cacao. So if we think about voice, like we all have our unique voices, right? And if you can talk, you can sing. So often a story is from brothers and sisters who were shamed when they were young. They used to sing a lot and then they were told that they can't sing, that they don't have a good voice. And then they stopped. Noticing that and perhaps being to people like if, if you ever got shamed or told that you can't sing, then just know that you if you can talk, you can sing and you have developed that. You know, I encourage everybody to just develop their singing voices because it's such a beautiful way of giving an offering. And so cacao loves to be sung. They are a tree, a spirit of celebration, of coming together. And music is what has brought us humans together from the start, you know, from like our voices is the first instrument, drumming, thumping, clicking, clacking, like sound, like sound is it's so powerful for us humans. So if you have a voice, then you are able to give that gift to to cacao. And cacao is very inspirational. Like she really inspires loving kindness and curiosity and playfulness. 
So it's very often that people will drink cacao and then they'll they'll channel, so to speak, a song for cacao and they'll come up with a poem or a song. So this is something I noticed quite early on working with cacao. So for my teachings, my course, one of the things I encourage my students to do is to to come up with a song for cacao. And, you know, and people who come to my ceremonies, I don't necessarily tell them to come up with a song, but it's quite often that if they're somewhat musically inclined in any way, that then a song will be channeled. So I think you're referring to my friend Josefina here, who I was at Medicine Festival with. And yeah, she, with her twin sister and another friend, channeled a song for cacao, which is in Quechua. So it has the native tongue of Ecuador sorry, Quechua, because it's Quechua and Quechua ones for Peru's from Ecuador. And, you know, we invoke the the fire, the mas- the feminine energy of the fire and the masculine energy of the fire. And then we, yeah, we sing to different elements in respect to, to cacao. But yeah, song is really powerful and singing is really powerful. And mm. cacao loves to be sung to because I think it encourages that, encourages that celebration, encourages for one to be accepting of one's voice and to be like, you know, I may not sound incredible, but I'm here singing anyway. And mm-hmm. I'm here to celebrate the fact that I have a voice and that I'm able to speak and sing. Like I sing for those who are no longer with us, who cannot sing anymore. So yeah, it's, it's a beautiful offering and, and something that I highly encourage people mm. to do. I felt like that was the moment where you're going to break out into song. <laughs> <laughs> I really I love that you speak with such passion about it because it's I know it's just my body just like wanting to expand with you and like I'm ready to just break out into song and I was thinking now I would love to tune into maybe channeling a song for cacao myself that next time I I see you I have that offering please yeah it's so beautiful that you talk about it as a celebration and also that it kind of can inspire that kindness because it's bringing us into our heart space I was thinking of when you were speaking and you know you've talked a lot about unconditional love and you know going into deeper states of awareness we're really feeling this force of love and this expansive feeling of love and you know that there's so many our sisters and brothers in the world that are struggling with mental health and that are struggling Mm. with depression would you recommend cacao as a way I'm not saying it's like a the only way to perhaps treat depression but if depression comes from a sense of disconnectedness and loneliness and isolation can we use the plant spirit of cacao to help our brothers and sisters that are perhaps feeling depressed or anxious or isolated thank you for bringing this up this is such an important topic and yeah a hundred percent a hundred percent cacao can help because of all the reasons you just mentioned and also because of its chemical compounds when we drink cacao as it's digesting in the stomach, is in the stomach that we create the precursors of serotonin. So it's actually supporting the body into producing, naturally producing serotonin, dopamine, anandamide. It's nurturing the body with all the antioxidants and polyphenols that it has. So it's very nurturing to the body physically as well. And as it helps 
us produce serotonin and dopamine, then is a natural antidepressant. So cacao can absolutely support people in their mental health journey. Like we were saying through the energetics and, you know, having that connection with a plant and with the spirit and feeling accompanied by a mother and a father because I feel she's got this very motherly and fatherly energy to them. And then, yeah, through the physical aspects of it, through what it actually physically helps your brain and your body produce, which is all these feel-good chemicals. Mm. It's really powerful to know that because I know for a lot of people that might access antidepressants or other forms of medication, there are a lot of side effects that can come with that. So it's, it's almost like you're creating this vicious cycle of then needing to be on more medication and other medication to then treat the side effects or becoming dependent or it not working over time. So to hear of something so natural that can physically help us produce serotonin and therefore help us have those states of a more awareness and happiness. Just thank you so much for sharing your passion for cacao. I really feel it. And it's it's really beautiful to hear you talk about it with such passion and help educate us all a bit more about it. Really, really grateful for you. Thank you for giving me your time. Oh, thank you so much for having me, love. It's been really awesome talking with you. And I wish you the best with the podcast. Thank you for listening. I really hope you enjoyed hearing Dia's story and the power of connecting to plant medicines like cacao. For more information about Dia's work and to buy ceremonial grade cacao from Cacao Amour, check out the links in the description. And I'm so, so grateful to be sharing Josefina and Muy Tranquilo's track, Cacaoita. And you can also find more information about these artists and their work in the description. Thanks so much for listening. Appreciating you all.
pulpa de mi corazón tortura. Como la pulpa de mi corazón tortura. Como la pulpa de mi corazón tortura. Como la pulpa de mi corazón tortura.